1: I know the human being and science, science.
2: can coexist peacefully. This, without finding.
0: Hey guys, welcome to Peter Dish. I'm Nathan, the bartender. I'm Sean, the scientist. Guys, I've been watching a lot of stuff about quantum chromodynamics, about quarks, their spins, their colors. And I don't get
1: it, and it's not related. <laughs> yeah. Today, we're talking about fungus. Yes, yeah, it's not even fucking close. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this is the second episode we're doing on fungi. Last time, we talked kind of really broadly about, like, what the hell are fungi?
0: Right. Now we're going to review the new Star Trek season, and we're going to see how does their ideas about black mold and spores relate to
1: quantum chromodynamics. I mean, what's annoying, David <laughs> If you keep saying this bullshit, but, like, these are actual topics that, like, probably other podcasts talk about, so, like, people are going to get confused. Oh, right. We our want, we want our them. brand to be different.
0: Yes. We don't talk about pop culture here, except Folklore by Taylor Swift. Listen to it. <laughs> She's
1: changed the game.
0: Just well, kidding. I, I'm interested never... you
1: brought up Taylor Swift because really? you were the one who watched Black as King, and you got a lot of words about that.
0: Yeah. You know, there's some pop culture these days that I'm, I'm liking. I'm like, I feel yes. more connected to pop culture than
1: I have in my life. That's beautiful. Which is
0: exciting. We kind of argued about this silly today.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, also, very luckily... For listeners, that is absolutely not what our podcast is about. So, what, what what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about fungi, but specifically in the context of symbiotic fungi yeah. and pathogenic fungi, right? Guys,
0: fungi are like the Rousseauian state of nature. They're working with you. And against you. Oh, right. <laughs> <It's both. laughs> that's, a, that's the second part of the episode. We're going to talk about Rousseauian fungi and Nazi fungi. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about fungi. That's fucking you up! <laughs> All right. I'm talking about Last of Us Part 2.
1: Wow, beautiful. Cordyceps. That's in Last of Us Part 1, too, isn't it? I didn't play other. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a PS4. I'm too poor. But Cordyceps will make an appearance in this episode for sure. So if you're only here for that, just know it's in the second half of the episode. But right. you don't know where. So you can't just skip to it. That's true. And just in case, guys, this actually is a part two of our first
0: episode last week on Fungi in general. Like, what are they? Because it's actually a more complicated and historical question. Listen to that so that you can hop right into this episode and know exactly what's going on with the stuff between your toes.
1: Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and get into this episode starting with Symbiotic fungi? Okay, cool.
0: Okay, guys. So first, we're going to talk about symbiotic fungus. Now, Sean, tell me, what is symbiosis? I know from you know, my Republican Party conventions that all animals and life forms are set against each other, that we're in constant <laughs> conflict, and we steal from each other, and only the smart and powerful can survive, and everyone else, like fungi and you know, poor people, deserve their lot.
1: So symbiosis is about living together. What? Okay. So this is a very communist idea. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like the atomic family. It's the core of the Republican Party. Uh, David Brooks doesn't like the nuclear family anymore. Uh Uh-oh. Anyway, (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. That was a lot (laughs) of free association. Yeah, Yeah, this is terrible. Um, Maybe more specifically, what I'm talking about is mutualism, in which there's two different species, but they actually legitimately both get something out of it. Like men and women. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit.
0: Women are from Venus. <laughs> Haven't you heard Lady Gaga? Don't. don't <laughs> when Venus. you touch me, I die. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. I've had the perfect amount of Negroni and espresso to do this episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and we are in for a whirl. You've blended beautifully. Um, <laughs> I am a beautiful blend. If you guys who don't know, I'm a mongoloid. Hold on. You're half mongoloid. <laughs> oh, is is. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're a mongrel. You're uh, 100% mongrel. That's true. I'm a beautiful
1: blend. Okay. Like yeah. Panda Express. Everyone is sad. <laughs> Everyone's sad now. Okay. okay. So the, the first one I wanted to talk about in this kind of mutualism, two species. Right. One of them fungus, and then the other one something else. It goes all the way back to the origin of plants. To the origin of land plants. Oh fuck. Yeah. Because plants originally were kind of hanging out in the ocean. I mean everything was And right?
0: under the sea, downwards better, downwards wetter. Right? <laughs> it's know. like,
1: no, but really, like under the sea <laughs> I mean, where it's really wet. That's true, but I don't know if any one <laughs> of our listeners signed up for you singing. <laughs> <So. laughs> Upon the shore plants work all
0: day. Under the sun, photosynthesizer the way. Oh my god. No, but like but like I mean the the point being that like under the sea plants they don't need no no other fuckers, right? Right,
1: yeah. Basically, in general, plants will take in carbon dioxide, they will take in light, and then they need a little bit of, you know, some minerals and some vitamins and nutrients that they can get out of sort of the the space around them. And otherwise,
0: they're devoting full-time to floating,
1: right? Jesus! They don't need no other shit.
0: I can't... Yes. But! Yes. When they go on to land... That's out the window. Land sucks. Ariel needs to grow some legs. Plants need some help transitioning from water to to land 400 million years ago.
1: Right. So 400 million years ago, plants were trying to creep out into this new territory, right? There's new area to expand into that they can maybe have their own niche in.
0: Atlantis. But the thing, well,
1: reverse Atlantis. (laughs) Uh, But the main thing is that plants actually evolved roots after they had become land plants already. Right. You didn't need roots in the ocean. Right, right. Right, not really. And so, there's all sorts of
0: nutrients just floating.
1: Right. And right. there were some algae that might have been able to like stick to substrates and things like right. that, you know, stick to rocks in the water. But
0: you need some thick-ass roots,
1: right? Right, like, to be able to quinte. to be able to handle, you know, actually digging into rock, yeah. right and being able to withstand winds and everything. Shit's rough. And to be able to extract things like minerals and water from your environment, right? And the thing is, plants were not well suited for that at first. It wasn't until millions of years later that they developed roots and in the meantime what they did instead was form a symbiotic relationship with fungi. Right. Fungi were critical for all lamp plants existing now. Like right. they were there at the first step for plants. They were Titus from unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. They
0: need to call up like, you know Mikey, okay, to help install their plumbing. <laughs> 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 right, but you but you need a Mikey. You need a Mikey to like do that hard work again all your mineral extract out.
1: Right, yeah, and fungi had already been there on land a little bit. That's cool. So so they already had some experience being able to grasp onto the substrate, right. like on rocks and things like that. So these guys get together, they become unlikely roommates. Okay, Chuck Lorre TV show. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, luckily fungi don't really want much right. of a relationship. They basically just want sugar which is the thing that plants produce through photosynthesis. Sexy. So really, plants would produce this sugar food and then be able to give it mm. to the fungi, and the fungi, in exchange, would give them water, would give them minerals, and would basically help them grasp onto the land.
0: The original sugar daddies. Yes. Plants give sugar, fungus gives out some of that ass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and together they colonize land. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Fucking that, cool. that, that
1: was beautiful. I'm helping you communicate to the masses. <laughs> so that was four hundred million years ago, and you okay. might think, okay, since then land plants have developed roots and everything, right? And maybe that they can that they're fine now. Nah, it's a good routine. Right. Most plants still work with fungus. Right. Ninety percent of land plant species still associate with fungi in this kind of mutualistic relationship what's up with those 10 percent of dylan roof plants that are lone wolves who shoot up churches yeah so weirdly they just don't seem to require what the fungi provides for them to be able to survive well oh okay and some of them some of them are like agriculturally significant plants oh but i think it's interesting that there's some group of them that don't need them or evolved away from yeah is there like a causal relationship there like like what's a good example If I remember correctly, I think broccoli is an example of one. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. I knew I hated broccoli. I think it's a little weird. I don't know if it has to do with their root system. Maybe they don't get a lot of extra efficiency out of having fungi associated or something. Yeah, they don't need it. Or what, but it is an interesting thing that most land plants need it, and then every once in a while there's a few that don't. Mm -hmm. Or a few that work fine without it, let's say. So who the fuck are the fungi who are on modern plants, 90% of them, and how do these fuckers work? Yeah, so there's a lot of different species that can do it, but the main way that they work is by using their hyphae, and so hyphae are like... (laughs) So there's two forms of fungi, basically, at a fundamental level. We talked about this last time. There's yeasts, which are unicellular. Yeah. And then there's the ones that form hyphae, which are the ones that make these little tiny, they almost look like roots. Yeah. They're single cells next to each other, forming kind of a single file line of cells. And the thing is that when you have fungi forming these hyphae and associating with roots, they form what's called uh, mycorrhizal. System. Okay. And that's basically just any time that you have plants hanging out with these hyphae networks. Then
0: I hear about some mycorrhizal
1: system, like under the forest. Oh, yeah. Connects all living things or something, like an right. avatar. Yeah, yeah. So mycorrhizal networks can actually work both ways. So first of all, sometimes they are relatively species-specific. So there are certain kinds of trees that have relationships With their fungi. Right. And they'll form these mycorrhizal networks. Okay. And maybe first, let me just say, why would they do this anyway? Yeah. The reason is that hyphae are, they are literally pretty much just single cell thick. Yeah. Okay. That is thinner and more abundant than tree roots are. Okay. So actually they form larger networks with more surface area. They can draw in more minerals, more nutrients, more water than roots actually do. But do they feel... Like, do they watch Inside Out (laughs) and uh, like Amy Poehler's work? Uh, Well, I think everything likes Amy Poehler's work, but I don't think they've seen Inside (laughs) Out. Um, So the thing about these networks is, yeah, sometimes they can form between different species, but sometimes they're relatively species-specific, including some that form relationships with, like, oak trees or something. Mm. And then we'll set up an area around the oak tree where other plants can't live. Okay, cool. Sometimes in forests, you'll see trees kind of spaced out from each other right and like not really any plants growing underneath them you know like, you you don't like see what grass. Is that? yeah and a lot of times what that is is that's actually the hyphae that's the fungus security changing system. the soil environment yeah like acidifying the soil or putting out molecules into the soil that prevent right. other plants from growing and basically soaking up stuff that that tree right. might want that's why Yarosil <laughs> is king of the world oh the tree lives alone Say that again for me. That's how you like to say it.
0: How do you say it? I say, Igdrasil. well, that's uh, that sounds like it's a Gondorian tree.
1: Are they different?
0: Yeah, it's Gondor, Gondor, not Gondor is basement? fictional, Sean. <laughs> right? G- Gondor is not real. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> As opposed to North Russell, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> it's like in Copenhagen, right? That's beautiful. Okay, but some of these mycorrhizal networks do hook up between several different species cool. and it can actually end up almost being like a network that can transmit things between plants that are hooked up to it. Yeah. Right. And maybe not even just plants, but also bacteria. Okay. Okay. So I, th- this is maybe weird to think about, but like some bacteria don't really swim very much at all. Right. But even the ones that swim, swim best in like water. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. That's what swimming is. Right. Yeah. Sure. They don't really swim in soil. Right. And so actually, one theory out there right now is that mycorrhizal networks are actually a way for bacteria to move around in the soil because they'll actually run into these hyphae and then be able to crawl along the hyphae. Oh, that's interesting. And so it might actually be a way for non-pathogenic beneficial bacteria mm. to actually come and associate with roots because they'll basically ride on these hyphae networks right. to run into roots interesting. At some point. so it's
0: like this big ass freeway system underneath a forest that enables it to just like be a larger fucking plant ass fungus ass bacteria
1: ass civilization right right yeah it's kind of you know it's the interstate highway system very sexy for bacteria but then also for plants it's kind of like the internet thank you dwight d eisenhower for both <laughs> <laughs> Dwight d Eisenhower and uh, Al Gore, His son Al Gore yeah. <laughs> this I think science is a little bit preliminary but plants seem to be able to put chemical signals into the mycorrhizal network damn that will transmit to other plants damn and maybe give information to those other plants about like environmental
0: conditions at what point of cool sexy mutualism and complexity are things just like sentient
2: well
1: I don't know sentience is really hard isn't it like, I guess I th- so. It seems difficult to me, right? Like, for sentience we want things to be able to, like, recognize themselves as, right. like, have an identity I or something. trees have identities. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, like, I was
0: walking past the forest. Um, I went to Sequoia kind of recently, and there was, like, all sorts of trees that had names carved in them. I mean, the trees were naming themselves, so <laughs> <laughs> like, there was one that was named like S plus Q and it was in a heart, and it was like <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Same
1: with c Queen. <laughs> 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 like so I don't know. Yes, yeah, that's lovely. So one thing I'll say is that hyphae can also secrete this protein called glomalin. Yeah, and that secreted protein can help soil retain water. It can bind up heavy metals and maybe keep the heavy metals from leaching into the other water so much, like drinkable water. It helps texture the soil so it doesn't super sandy or dusty. Damn. And it's a big carbon sink. So when we talk about using plants or forests as a way to capture carbon, some of that carbon gets captured in the actual, like, trees that grow. Or whatever, right? Like, physically, they're built out of carbon. Yeah. But a lot of it probably also gets captured by the fungi that's underground, and not just in the hyphae themselves but also in the form of these proteins that they just like dump out into the soil so the Mm. soil itself becomes a carbon capture system damn and it doesn't degrade for like decades so it's a good trap Uh because you know trees who knows what you do with them once they grow up they stop capturing carbon as much right so you know maybe you cut them down and do something with the wood or something like that but this glomalin keeps just staying in the soil for a while. So if Damn. you can if you can use these networks, it might be a really good way to be able to trap more carbon underground. That's pretty cool. Man, so it's like all this infrastructure helps develop like entire environments, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, and it's really important for like kind of changing just, like even physically the texture of soil. Like yeah. you know you know how dirt feels different than like you can feel like a sandy dirt versus one that seems kind of like almost wetter. That's fungal bitches. Yeah. Just eating up
0: that soil and like making all that good ass soil.
1: Yes. That's cool. Those are beautiful words you just said. Cool. Damn.
0: We're going to take a break. We're going to start talking about all sorts of sexy, crazy fungi that have a, I don't know if they count as biologically symbiotic with humans, but have an important relationship with humans. I mean, and to be specific, talking about getting drunk? (laughs) How about some yeasty beasties? Sure. The, The yeasty boys. Sure. For starters, I but there's a, right a lot more. I have a right to yeast. What? They have a right to party, right? Will the yeast have a right
1: to make alcohol? <laughs> Everyone's sorry. All, let's of, take a all of Petri dishes. is sorry. <laughs> I said let's take a party! <laughs> all right.
0: Time. Time is passing. Time is relative. But not for you. You're running out. ...of time. Plan your funeral today with Prudential Life Insurance. Okay, Sean, let's talk about yeasty.
1: Yes. Tell me about yeast. I think you actually have a lot of experience. When it comes to yeast. But yes, I know a lot about yeast. We use a lot of yeast in our cooking. Mm. Okay. Uh, and so the most commonly used yeast in our cooking is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Although typically we use maybe two different strains of that species for baking versus brewing. Oh, fuck. Right.
0: Don't we use a lot of different types for brewing too?
1: Like it doesn't depend on what you're brewing. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you're brewing, you often use other Saccharomyces species. But often we're not even just using single wild type species but species that we've actually naturally hybridized over
0: time over thousands of years we've fucked all sorts of yeast together to make yeast for different wines
1: yeast for different beers don't hefeweizen and lager use different yeasts and shit right yeah so lagers are a very good example of one where it's a pretty different yeast because it's actually i think like bottom living or something like that Uh, so they actually sink down to produce their alcohol.
0: And hefeweizens aren't even naturally occurring. What happens is a guy fucks a yeast petri dish first, (laughs) lets it grow on his d*** for two weeks, and then puts his d*** in a vat of hefe, and that's the yeast. Right? So it's actually yeast
1: that forms a symbiotic relation out of dick scum. I'm looking forward to Stacey beeping every time you said, yeah. I just say dick. Maybe this whole segment's beeped. It's it's extraordinarily unpleasant to hear you talk about somebody else's dick. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, just and, hearing about it. Is and, and a yeast dick is what I'm talking about. Yes, that does make it worse. Thank yeah, you. Just, so Can you imagine just, like, if you put, like, a microphone really close to a yeasty dick, it's just like. I was thinking it would kind of make little popping sounds, like they are making little bubbles or something like that. Anyway! That makes more sense. Stacy's gonna beep it! <laughs> yeah, that's science. Note it down. Okay, so... So there's so many natural hybrid
0: yeast, motherfuckers. We've miscegenated yeast.
1: Yes, yes, and I think nowadays a really big trend is to try to use wild yeast for both bread baking and beer brewing. I prefer genetically modified yeast, alright? I don't want no wild yeast, yo.
0: Okay, I want Monsanto yeast.
1: Well, I mean, yeast are very easy to genetically modify. So I, awesome. I think that, that's like hypothetically possible. Boom. But I mean, like right now it's very popular to try to inoculate essentially a mixed bag of yeast. Yeah. Because the idea is that it adds more complexity to like the flavor and everything. Yeah. They're making more kinds of molecules. It can change like right. the acidity, like sourdough, for right. example. And those are those crazy ass farmhouse
0: ales and like sours, right? Super diverse. Shout out to Monkish and Torrance. Great brew joint. Torrance, California. Torrance, California. Not not Torrance, Sacramento.
1: Wait, no, Sacramento. <laughs> not Torrance in the Grand Canary Islands.
2: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeast are all over the place, luckily, right? So these right. people who want to try to do wild yeast stuff, yeast is on fruit skins. It's just like in the air. It's in our spit, in our faces. Yeah. It's just like all over the place. That's why a lot of sours taste like spit. I don't know. Do they? Yeah, they're No, gross. come on. Sours aren't that bad. Tastes like my spit. <laughs> Got sour spit. Uh-oh. And, of course, we eat other fungi besides yeast, right? I have, so- a, whole, I have a whole candy brand named Sour Spittles. <laughs> and it's just like,
0: <laughs> I just suck on a Skittle and just spit it back <laughs> into a bag and sell it wholesale
1: at farmer's markets. And it has all my natural wild yeast, <laughs> so it's very sour. I don't know exactly why this episode was the one where you decided to make it all about your body. But, like, it's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) It's just
0: every fungus we've talked about actually naturally occurs in my asshole. All right,
1: well, I got one for you, then. Black truffles. (laughs) All the
0: truffles are black truffles, but then you wash them and some are white truffles.
1: Black truffles are actually an example of the kind of symbiotic fungi we talked about earlier with the mycorrhizal networks. Cool.
0: Is it only black truffles? What about white truffles? Uh, Truffles I think think,
1: think most of them arise out of mycorrhizal networks. I guess they're not truffles de alba. It's like tufula, tufula,
0: tufula de alba. I don't know. I don't speak Romanian or whatever. So I don't don't know how you say it.
1: Is that Romanian? It's a romance language. Oh, okay. But in any case, I know specifically for black truffles that they're an example of basically the fruiting body from these mycorrhizal networks. Mm. And they usually grow with trees like oaks. And they're some of the ones that help keep away and kill other plants in an area around the trees. I'm never going to get over you saying fruiting body to me. Why? You Uh, like that? It's just very erotic. Which, but see, like, fruit doesn't have to be erotic. Well, it is. And body also does not have to be erotic. Ever since St. Augustine
0: fucked somebody (laughs) and then bit from a peach and then wrote about it, fruit have been very sexual in, I think, Judeo-Christian civilization. And bodies are definitely hot because that's what you fuck. And so I think, like, when you say pretty body to me, you're being naive when you act like you're not getting me hot. You know what you're doing. <laughs> and and I don't appreciate you acting all naive All little Miss Red Riding Hood And I'm the wolf When you're the wolf And I'm Red Red
1: Riding Hood It's just 25 minutes into any episode You are hot <laughs> And it's not entirely clear what I did to get you there You understand? I mean this one's pretty obvious I'm an all symbiotic
0: fungus <laughs> All right fun guy. No, but, uh, All right I think because of octopuses what? I think funguses is like actually secret, the right way to say it. And uh, it's really throwing me off because I keep saying funguses and I think... Yeah, and you're wrong. Repeatedly. I, well, I'm...
1: Yeah, okay, well, don't be digging that. No, <laughs> you're repeatedly, I'm angry at you wrong. I'm <laughs> confessing. <laughs> so we eat a lot of mushrooms. I guess is what this whole fucking section was supposed to be about. Yeah. Until it somehow became about your body. And how you got like, a, you got a mushroom for the front and you got a mushroom in the back. I just don't like I say somehow it's about
0: your body. You like wrote this to be about my
1: body. No. I can't read between the lines. Mushrooms are a good source of protein. <laughs> like, Nathan, <laughs> like Nathan. And some carbs, not much fat. Not like Nathan. <laughs> okay, you're right. This was never about me. And mushrooms also have a good amount of B vitamins, especially riboflavin, niacin, and pantothenic acid. And
0: I'm going to say something really naughty. So, because of vitamins that they sell at Costco and stuff and Chops and stuff, mm-hmm. how many of those things are real? Because <laughs> the branding all makes me feel like, oh, this is probably some Dr. Ross crap. But, like, then, you know, in a real science thing, you're telling me vitamins are, like, a good thing. Like, how many vitamins are good? What's actually good for me? Do I need to take
1: fish oil? Like, what's going on? Wow, well, we're going to do this in this episode, huh? Okay, okay. future episode. Well, no, I, I'll, I'll briefly say this much. <clears throat> for something to actually be a vitamin... It is necessary for our lives. Okay. That's and, like definitionally what it is. Yeah. A vitamin is something that is necessary that we do not make ourselves. And so we need to have it supplemented somehow. Okay. Usually in our diet. Right. We evolved to be able to get those vitamins just by eating. Right. So so it, it should be possible to have a complete diet that does not require any kind of pill-based supplementation of vitamins. Okay. That's, that's I, I would say, the, the simplest answer to that. But of course, some people... Like me, love chicken nuggets. Yeah, or you're eating like (laughs) hot links for like five months in a row. That's true. And then it's like, hey, maybe you need a (laughs) multivitamin. I need a little help.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's move on though. So mushrooms are a good source of many things. Bear Grylls always eats them on his trips. A good source of protein and miscellaneous vitamins and all sorts of sexy shit.
1: Yeah, and I found out something kind of interesting, which is that if you take mushrooms in pretty much any form, you can get them. Which is to say dried, powdered kind of alive, like their normal sort of mushroomy shape. Okay. You know what I mean? Like white button mushrooms or- Any way you do them. Yeah. And you expose them to UV light, they will produce vitamin D. How? If they're dead. Right. So they basically, even if they're dried or whatever, or in their powdered state, they have enough of the enzyme required to turn one molecule into vitamin D2 that they can just do that in whatever form they're in. Even magic mushrooms? I don't know. That's a good question. No, Maybe. Oh. Well, we'll try. But the point is, the kind of vitamin D that they make is vitamin D2. And the kind of vitamin D that we make is vitamin D3. Sexy. And that's the kind that we usually eat. And vitamin D2 can, like, kind of substitute for vitamin D3, but they're not exactly the same. Cool. But it is interesting that, like, mushrooms without the UV light part have, like, almost no vitamin D. Okay. But if they get irradiated, then all of a sudden they have, like, a pretty good amount okay so it turns out that vitamins
0: whoops that mushrooms they are good for you and vitamins are real yeah and uh that's why fungi feature heavily in folk medicine right that
1: is true. Okay. Yes. They actually get talked about a lot in, like, Chinese herbal medicine and then I'd okay. say a lot of other traditions. And
0: famously, almost all medications and vaccines come directly out of Chinese folk medicine. <laughs> right? 100% efficacity. No, that's... That's bullshit. I don't know, dude. I snorted some rhino horn off a monkey brain once, and my dick was hard for like three months straight. Right? <laughs> just, and it was a full horn.
1: <laughs> it's just because you were imagining the rhino the <laughs> whole true. time. And it's just true. like this. <laughs> just riding it. They're so thick. Yeah. Like, well, that one was pretty dead. <laughs> uh, um, I didn't do that. <laughs> so, as always with alternative medicine stuff, the main thing I want to say is that all of these proposed useful fungi do not currently demonstrate clinically relevant usefulness. Right. Except for ones that have, and then we turn them into actual medicine. Right. right. I think one thing that people people have this dichotomy between chemicals
0: and natural stuff when like chemicals are naturally occurring fucking molecules that things make, right? So like if there's a fungus in herbal medicine that is like actually good, we figure out what the chemical is, we synthesize a fuck ton of it, and then boom we have penicillin. Penicillin right. being an example of something very good that came from like a folk medicine
1: fungus or or, uh, a mushroom thing. And then we made more of it. (laughs) Yeah, it came from uh, Penicillium chrysogenum, which is basically, it was a mold that was growing on a plate. It wasn't really herbal medicine so much as it was just like, hey, why is this mold able to grow on this plate of like bacteria and like seem to kill the bacteria? Right. And so we figured, you know, that's where penicillin comes from. And there are a lot of other drugs that were originally something in fungi. Ecstasy, uh, meth, uh, angel's dust. <laughs> uh, uh, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> I think you're zero for three right now. But um, <clears throat> statins are a whole class of drugs that you use, like, I mean, seriously, all the time for reducing cholesterol levels. And they
0: were literally found
1: a fungi on Staten Island off of New York. <laughs> it was actually from another penicillium mold where they first isolated the original statin.
0: Did you see Seth Rogan's new movie, American pickle. I've seen commercials for it. Yeah, Stacy was watching it. It's a weird movie, man. <laughs> it's funny because there are actors who have like played two characters or three characters. Sure, there's something very disorienting about Seth Rogan playing two characters very straight, like at each other. <laughs> like it's not like Nutty Professor, right? Cause, sure, sure. Cause they're both like people, I suppose, and so it's like very
1: disorienting. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad we did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> um, so another example of a drug that we got from fungi is cyclosporin, uh. which is used as a non-steroidal immunosuppressant for people with organ transplants. And, you know, I mean, we got that from a fungus that in its asexual form is basically a white mold that hangs out in dirt. And when it wants to fuck, it gets on scarab beetles. Right. So one thing I think we... Just like me. We really lightly brushed over in our last episode is fungi can have different sort of life stages. Yeah. And just like Amish, right? Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. What's what's that what's that uh, thing that they do? Sh- Smogis board? No. <laughs> like, it sounds an awful lot like spring break. Yeah. It's like sp- spring springer or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's Rum like, it's like a
0: couple years where they get to like go out into the world and like Fucking fuck some stuff and have a cool time, explore, and then, you know, either they can leave the community permanently or they come back and most come back because it's like, I just love churning butter. Yes, that's
1: a lot like fungi and jellyfish. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, This jellyfish, (laughs) in any case, this, this particular fungi that we got cyclist born from. It's Amish phase, it just hangs out in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. And it's Rumspinger phase, it infects s- scarab beetles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're lucky that there's not that many Amish people, right? Because it's like, well, I think on some level, it must be offensive to compare
1: a, a religious group to fungi, right? They must definitely not listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't be safer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are necessarily fine. Right, anyway. right. So, um, there are a lot of other molecules that fungi make, including cyclic polypeptides that seem to have an effect on things ranging from bacteria, insects, plants, other fungi, all kinds of shit. Okay, so this is a very broad category of stuff that we can get out of fungi. We can even use fungi to dye fabrics. Yeah, there's little, like, do-it-yourself dye some yarn or something on, on the internet. And it's, like, various shades of, like, sepia. Just hang out with me, man. You don't have to be so lonely.
0: Stop. Stop. Stop knitting things. I've been whittling a lot. You've been whittling? (laughs) Wait,
1: have you really been whittling? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I like the pause there. I I wait until you invite me to do something. And then I say no, and then I start a whittling project. Oh, my God. All right. There are also some ideas... For how we can use fungi to do, like, natural or earth-friendly burials.
0: If it, I thought if you gave a corpse long enough, it was eventually earth-friendly. Or do we, like, soak people in so many things and preservatives or whatever that, like, it
1: takes a really long time to no, decompose I mean, it, people? You're, you're right. It eventually works out. Right. But the idea here is, like... What about we accelerate that process, we get those nutrients and everything like that right. back into the environment much faster. Right. And so in this case, this is a link to a TED Talk where like this lady is like literally wearing a suit with like little hyphy, like ready to go in it. I already did not love
0: TED Talk. Yes. Well, We're like a good TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, uh, um, what I was about to say, if you had to, if you had to die, how would you want to die? If I had to die? Yeah. Wait. What? Hold on. What you mean? Just like out of any option? Yeah. Like if you. Well, not not the literal the dying part, but like if you had to be disposed. How would oh. you be disposed?
1: Yeah. You know. I mean. Uh, part of me finds cremation to be like kind of a, a neat solution. Yeah. Right sky burials have always sounded fun if like not a little fucked up but like you know this fungal thing doesn't sound so bad it's like you basically you're wearing clothes that have the fungi ready to go in it right you get buried and then poof you're gone after not that long yeah
0: for audiences who don't have some context um sky burial is like a tibetan practice and i think zoroastrians do something similar where they like i mean zoroastrianism they leave you on a tower but in sky burial in tibet they like put you in the hills or something and then some birds eat you what I'm curious about is, like, do you think in Southern California that would be weird? Right? Like, like, <laughs> like, like in Tibet, people stumble over corpses all the time, right? <laughs> but, but I mean, like, do you think if you're just, like, walking in the Angelina Mountains? <laughs> I, I,
1: I, <laughs> I, hey, look, Southern California's a big place. You go east a little bit, you're going to stumble over some bodies. That's true, that's you think true. there's not some bodies over there in lizard country? That's true. Okay. That's true. Pomona. So, right. guys. Yeah.
0: Let's take a break, because afterwards, all this was Mr. Good Funtime Fungus. Now we're going to talk about pathogenic fungi. Fungi that are going to fuck you up
1: Beautiful. after the break. Beautiful. The following is an actual advertisement.
2: Hey, friends and potential lovers. Have you ever felt so passionately after watching a TV show or a movie but not have a pal to share it with?
1: Allow us the honour of keeping you company with our weekly podcast for your
2: reference with your hosts, Katie and Ot. Each episode, we break down our hot takes that you'll either ardently agree or vehemently disagree with, like... Subs versus dubs.
1: How important is a cohesive narrative?
2: What's with the popularity of the relatable villain?
1: Is it possible to be truly objective in spite of your own experiences?
2: And most importantly, are you getting a clue and which direction is it pointing?
1: Come on now, it's pointing towards For Your Reference.
2: That's a great reference. If you've got a little room in your rotation for some salacious frivolity, check out For Your Reference wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back from the break. This time we're doing the flip side of the situation. We were talking about nice fungi before, now we're talking about the pathogenic side. Right. What fungi are out to get you? These are Willie Horton fungi. Okay. That's a deep cut to Republican dog whistles. (laughs) Alright, so we're going to start with Humans. Okay, and so we mentioned this in the last episode, but the category of yeast is very, very broad, okay? Mm. And so there are some species of yeast that we use for food stuff, but they're pretty distantly related. To the yeast to... that are festering, maybe or maybe not on my body.
2: Right, and those yes. are bad yeast.
1: Yes, so there's a kind of yeast, it's the one that can cause yeast infections, but also things like oral thrush and diaper rash. Right. These are all often species in the genus Candida. Mm-hmm. And so the most common one is candida albicans. Honest Scotsman. Oh, because alba. Dude, I'm pretty smart. (laughs) (laughs) They're candid Scotsmen. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot of yeast, Captain. (laughs) So so these candida yeasts, they can be pretty naughty. They can do naughty things in your mouths. They can do things around the... What?
0: It's just before the filming of Zardar, right?
1: (laughs) Sean Connery's like, I've got to get me some (laughs) penicillin. I've got to be candid with you, but I've got a little yeast on me. Nathan, you're so naughty. Penicillin is against bacteria. It doesn't do anything for yeast. That's true. He just had yeast. He didn't tell anybody. (laughs) Well, he didn't know. Uncandid (laughs) album. So um, you can get fungal infections of your skin called dermatophytosis, although it's more commonly called ringworm. Oh, and ringworm's not a worm. Right. I actually didn't know that. Right. Yeah. This is where it's good that I don't read the notes well, because <laughs> then I can be genuinely surprised by something. There is this part of the sentence right here, which is not caused by a worm, dude. That was directed literally at you yeah, <laughs> beautifully. And, and, and it worked. Yeah, I think we understand each other really well. Yeah. So there's actually over 40 different species of fungi that can cause ringworms. So ringworms, not just one fungus doing something to your skin.
0: But it looks like a little red ring. And so we just assume that it's a worm. In right. primordial times. Right, right. But
1: now we're like, oh fuck, that's a fungi, bro. Right, yes, exactly. And so typically it's kind of like this little raised reddish area in a ring shape. Although I will say I've seen a lot of pictures of this now, having written up these notes. Yeah. Not all of them look like rings to me. Some of Dang. them just like tattoos that went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are like square shaped and some of them are like dodecahedrons, and you're like, I don't that's know about that. That's
0: pretty cool. <laughs> some of them are tesseracts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For Matthew McConaughey just falling you're, through like, your fungal tesser.
1: So a lot of fungal infections can happen more kind of internally, like fungal pneumonia or fungal meningitis. Cool. Uh, These are more common in immunocompromised people that don't have an active immune system to kind of go around and clear out the little fungal goobers before they start spreading in your body. But uh, I will say there's a lot of different people that can have compromised immune systems. Dogs, cats, (laughs) men, women. Yes, so the thing is, we do have antifungals that can fight off fungi, and they are super useful and can often work well, and are often produced by other fungi. Like, a lot of these antifungals are actually ones that we extracted from other fungi that they use to attack each other. Cool. But, as with bacteria and antibiotics, what we're seeing is a lot of fungi developing resistance to these antifungal treatments. That's bad. It is bad, for sure. So one example of this is another species in the Candida genus, Candida auris, which typically infects immunocompromised people or people who are in long-term care in hospital environments. But what we've been seeing in the past decade is kind of, in different hospitals, occasionally you'll have a spike of cases of multi-drug-resistant Candida auris.
0: And it's not great. I don't want to sound like a jackass, but I feel like... 15 years ago, when I was in Model United Nations, I would read all these articles about, like, drug-resistant TB. Yeah. It's, like, supposed to be the next big thing. Sure. And, like, I don't know. Like, it seems bad, but, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's getting everywhere, right? Like, how, how, how bad is this drug-resistant fun- Like, how common is it? Um, and, like, what's the worst-case scenario?
1: Yeah, so it's not terribly common right now. And, and I think if there's a saving grace so far, it's been that in a lot of cases of multi-drug resistance, it's been something that's kind of arisen new each time. Okay. Especially for like tuberculosis. One thing that we've seen is in a particular person sick with tuberculosis. I see. It can turn into a multi-drug-resistant form. But it doesn't have much lifespan after that. It doesn't spread to
0: multiple people. It doesn't become like an epidemic
1: or something. So far... So far. That's not the case for all things, right? So, like, MRSA is um, a staff that is multi-drug-resistant. And that one is spreading. Yeah. I mean, the Mercers have Hobby Lobby, right? And
0: they're just like... <laughs> they are drug-resistant crazies, and they're taking over America. So...
1: <laughs> Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> the right. Mercer family. So there are certain kinds of staph infections that are multi-drug resistant and are hopping around and are spreading and can be very, very difficult to treat that we really don't have very many antibiotics left that can treat. That's In this case, Candida Ares is kind of like a really specific thing, and it's not really commonly infecting people. Right. It'll be like a hospital with like a long-term care unit right. might suddenly see a flare-up. Right. That makes sense because these are folks who are together— it's more
0: likely that just, like, something's going to prop up and have the opportunity to transmit between even more than one person,
1: whereas usually... Right, so there's two environments, really, where multidrug resistance has a chance to really fester. Right. One of them is a potential issue with, like, livestock... Right. ...and overuse of antibiotics in livestock. Right. And then the other one is hospitals, because in hospitals you have a lot of antibiotics and antifungals around... And you end up using them and that resistance can end up getting horizontally transferred in that environment. So we talked about the multi-drug resistant fungi. There are actually also fungi that are associated with like tumors, particularly like colorectal and pancreatic cancers. Okay. So when you look into those tumors, you actually see fungi in there. It's, well, first of all, it's surprising. (laughs) Yeah, I get that when you have cancer... You're obviously sick, but in healthy bodies, you don't normally see fungi hanging out inside your body. Right. You might see it in your digestive tract, but that's, you know, quote unquote, outside your body. Okay. It's like inside your intestines.
0: Okay. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. You kind of have to think about it like a continuity. A right. Surface. It's like a tube. Right. I really fucked up crazy tube, but like,
0: it's like a tube from mouth to asshole.
1: Right. So for the purposes of like your immune system and like your blood and all of your organs. They don't fuck around inside that digestive tract. Right. And so it is, it's weird and not good when there's fungi on the other side of that wall. But inside there, it's like, whatever. GG, dude. So it's possible that pancreatic and colorectal cancers, because they have access to the digestive system, that might be how the fungi get in. Yeah. And then the issue is that in cancers, a lot of them are immunosuppressed. You guys should listen to our cancer episodes. But in the cancer environment, for cancer to survive, a lot of times it tunes down the immune system. Has any immunocompromised person had like a cordyceps grow out of their head? Not that I'm aware of. But immunocompromised people can get fungal infections that are like weird. Right. Like ones th- humans don't normally get. Right. And, you know, a lot of times a fungus that we just always have with us right that can outgrow because they're immunocompromised cool but in any case it's not entirely clear if these fungi hanging out in tumors are making things any worse they're positively associated with worse outcomes so people who get sicker usually have more of this fungi but it's not clear if they're causing it or if it just means that like you have more fungi when you have less immune system and if you have less immune system you get sicker or something you know but it's weird Well, this gets us
0: into a different pathogenic fungus, or group of fungi, that I have a friend, a friend named Leslie, who has basically written off our show. Like, she (laughs) listened to a few of them, was okay with it, and was like, well, you guys don't talk about zombie funguses, or fungi, whatever. So, so fuck your show. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then I was like, I finally was like, like last week, I was like, (laughs) We're talking about zombie fungi. Let's do it.
1: All right. After a break. (laughs) Fuck!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. So, we're talking about Fungi, and we're going to talk about the PS4 game Last of Us, part one (laughs) and part two. We're talking about Fungi that burst out of your fucking skull. To reproduce and shoot out spores and sexy shit like that.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. So, Nathan, you have been asking me to talk about cordyceps for a while now. It's cause, uh, because... Um, the people come to you. And I eat
0: a lot of Chinese cordyceps. Sure. For my peen. My, okay. My, my uh, virility. Yes. It hasn't worked yet. Really? Still flat. Because I feel like you're, like, oozing virility right now. (laughs) I am. Well, I'm with you. Oh, I realize you're my cordyceps. Uh-oh. But, okay, so let's talk about cordyceps, Sean. What are these crazy... uh, Is it class?
1: Is it an order? A fungi? Right, okay. So, cordyceps is a genus. Fuck! A fungi. And that it's a little bit of a complicated history okay so it used to include the famous ones that turn insects into zombies but actually genetics has reclassified that grouping fuck so actually in cordyceps the genus no longer are any of those fungi the kind that like burst out of your head and make zombies and stuff like that. that's lame as shit what are they called now yeah now they're called Ophiocordyceps. Why did we go through all that? <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the zombie fungi that we talked about are Ophiocordyceps, which are a part of the same order as Cordyceps, the genus, but it's its own genus now. And it's not the only kind of fungus that can zombify insects. Like there are other pretty distantly related, well, sort of distantly related fungi that can infect insects and make them do zombie-ish stuff. And actually you can kind of split them into two big categories One of them is called summit disease transmission and the other is called active host transmission. Stop giving me your sexy science talk and tell me how the zombies work. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. So the first grouping is summit and that's the one that the cordyceps is in. Cool. So summit disease transmission is when the infected insect goes to some spot before it dies. Right. Right. So maybe it'll crawl up onto a high leaf so that it can spread a further distance or something. Right. And what happens is it'll go to that spot die, and then sprout out the fruiting body of the fungus, and then spread the spores, right? Right. Maximum damage. And death first, right? That's a key distinguishing factor between summit disease transmission and active host transmission. Right. It's like the difference
0: between a suicide bomber and an active shooter. Suicide Bomber's got to die to kill all the other people, and technically, in terms of split seconds, dies first, whereas an active shooter kills all the people and then maybe pops themselves off? Depends.
1: Do you love that metaphor?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very illustrative.
1: It's correct. I'm not not proud of the
0: America we live in.
1: (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, I guess we're going with it. Um, <laughs> so one example of this is in carpenter ants. Okay, carpenter ants infected with Ophiocordyceps unilateralis will climb onto leaves. Basically, you know, <laughs> you, you can kind of measure it. And they're typically like 25 centimeters off the ground. It's like weirdly specific. Huh? They'll crawl up to leaves that are like 25 centimeters off the ground. And carpenter ants, you know, they can use their jaws to kind of cut leaves and everything. Yeah. So in this case, they will clamp down with their jaws onto, you know, kind of like the main stem of the leaf, yeah. right? They'll clamp down and then their jaw muscles will atrophy so that they're stuck in clamped position. Wow. So they can't move. And then... They die around lunchtime, weirdly specific. Yes. I, th- seriously, they die between the hours of like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. So when I'd want to die. And then that's when they have this sprout shoot out of their head with spores on it that will spread from 25 centimeters above the ground.
0: Obviously, an audio uh, medium, guys, look it up because
1: it's like really fucking metal. Yeah, it is some weird shit. Yeah. And so carpenter ants are not the only ones. There's actually another Ophiocordyceps called Ophiocordyceps sinensis, and it infects caterpillars in China. And the fruiting body is uh, actually a very, very popular Chinese traditional medicine. That's gross. It is odd. Well, (laughs) I mean, I think culturally nice, but like, you know,
0: I think if you're chilling the same place for like 5000 years, you're going to end up eating a little bit of everything, right? (laughs)
1: yes probably
0: (laughs) like give humans a couple thousand years and we're gonna eat all sorts of like raccoon tone fungus you know (laughs)
1: like (laughs) you know like eventually you just get bored there's a lot of people that love trash pandas i think we're (laughs) like half a step away from people doing that right now yeah (laughs) Yeah. did you hear about this thing somebody wants raccoons to be the mascot for covid19 like washing your hands Oh, because raccoons are actually quite fastidious in, in washing their food, right? Right, and they already kind of look like they're wearing some kind of mask, and they like to, <laughs> they sort of keep distance away from people getting too close, so it's like social distance. The the audience can't see that for the first time in this show's history, I face facepalmed <laughs> from
0: something Sean said. Okay, it's not, I, I didn't come up with this fucking idea. It's a bad I'm, idea, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. I won't defend it. Okay. There, there are a lot of like podunk, poor-ass crackerjacks who, like, won't do masks unless a raccoon does it first. I
1: I hope they like raccoons, because we need more people wearing masks. So this Ophiocordyceps infects the caterpillars while they're underground in their larval state, okay? And can actually hang out in these larvae uh, for years, because the caterpillars can stay underground for, like, five years or something. And then eventually what they seem to do is kind of make the larvae kind of twitch, crawl up closer to the surface of the ground. 'Cause they're usually like ten to thirty-five centimeters underground. Like you know, they're under the surface. Yeah. But being infected, eventually they'll crawl up and then be head first closer to the surface so that when the cordyceps sprouts out of its head, it can break the ground surface.
0: What do you think the the fungus is um like what do you think the fungus is using to measure that distance? Like, can it, like, read ultraviolet light or something? Or, like, can it fucking... I mean, that that is a good question. Right. A lot of fungi... Is it just sentient and it's all part of the same, like, quantum computer that's been sent
1: by distant alien civilization from the Expanse, apparently? I mean, honestly, it's, it's a good question. What elements are because of the fungi taking explicit control? And what elements are something that was supposed to be adaptive for the caterpillar? that ended up not working out. Like maybe the fungi is triggering some kind of escape response. Right, and it just doesn't make it. Right. Right. So for example, with the ant example, or some fungi that can infect termites, they'll sometimes go away from their hive or something. And so one way to interpret that, they'll go away and climb up high or something. One way to interpret that is, oh, that helps the spread of the fungus in wind or something. Or it's actually
0: a whoopsie-daisy. The ant has successfully taken the fungus away from
1: the right. rest of the ants, right, from its relatives, and right. so if there is an infection that happens from that, it might be other ants that aren't related to it or something. In Chinese, yes, let's this, hear this. This <laughs> ofio, uh, cordyceps is called *dongchong sha Chao, Maybe all that Shoshoneuvine has really uh, has really proven useful here. Well, in any case, it translates to "winter worm, summer grass." And the idea is, in the winter, you can see these caterpillars go into the ground to make their larval state. And then, by the summer, you see the ophiocordyceps come up, which looks more like a plant. So, it was kind of this mysterious thing back in the day. It was like, how is this caterpillar going in and coming out as a plant? Right? Uh, Not a plant. Gross. Parasitic fungi. Gross. Dude, we should
0: do an episode about wasps. Sure. Because wasps are kind of
1: similar, in that they, like... Fuck up caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We could probably do an episode that's just about the things that do terrible things to caterpillars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm sure there's a lot of them. So there's also non ophiocordyceps fungi that can do similar kinds of things. There's a Entomophthora muscae, which infects the common housefly, right? That dick. Yeah. And so what it does is it infects female houseflies, and it makes them land in sort of like an open area, and it enlarges their abdomens. And ramps up their sex pheromone production to make them, like, attractive to male flies. And then kills them and sprouts out little spores. And then male flies come to have sexy times with the female fly. And the little spores kind of blast off on these little, like, water cannons to stick to the male flies
0: as they're having sex. Last fly on the left. Ew, It sounds like a Wes Craven film. <laughs> that's right, I referenced this source material, not the pod. That's beautiful. But, put that little audio up on the Twitters, okay? I don't know
1: if they're going to care. <laughs> we're, we're a little small talk. But you're Spongeli Man now. Spongely Man, yes, that's true. So that's disturbing, I think we can both agree. Okay, but some of these guys actively fuck up. Right, so the alternative to the Summit situation, which again the insect dies, and then the spores kind of come out, right? An alternative is, what if you have the insect still be alive, but the spores are ready to go, so wherever the insect goes, it's spreading spores the whole time. Gnarly. Right? So that's another option, and we do see some species of fungi do that. So the Massospora fungi, for example, infect cicadas. And there's different species that infect all different kinds of species of cicadas all over the world. And what happens is they grow a bit and start forming spores in the abdomen area. And then they start to basically make the abdomen of the cicadas degrade. They make the abdomens fall apart, but the cicadas still stay alive. And then as the cicadas fly around and maybe, you know, bang a little bit, they're spreading spores the whole time. We should have like a trigger warning on this episode. (laughs) I'm just like, really fucking gross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god, what are these things doing to my beautiful insects? There's also a strong welsey fungi, strong welsey? Sure. That infect flies in a similar kind of way to develop their spores inside the abdomen of the flies and then make a hole in the abdomen and then the spores kind of like parachute out. Ugh. Yeah, dude, you happy? No. Yeah, see, the the issue here, everybody, is that Nathan has been an amateur entomologist since, like, he was three years old, so this is, like, viscerally disturbing for him.
0: I don't like things messing with my bugs.
1: Yes, well, fungi love it. Fungi love messing with your bugs.
0: Next time I eat a mushroom, I'm gonna bite down so viciously. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Bite off that head. Shroom. Go for it. (sighs) Okay, well, we need to stop the pod, (laughs) because I'm gonna go pass out somewhere. I'm so viscerally upset by all that. Yeah, that really depleted Nathan. But guys, so, fungi... Whether they're fucking you up or they're working together to build a better world.
1: Okay? They're like a big fucking deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, to bring it back a little bit to our first episode, for something that was inappropriately thought to be a plant for a long time. Right. And I think what that speaks to is how distant it is as a life form to our
0: conception initially, our Aristotelian conception of life. Right. It's so distant from that it's
1: actually so fundamental. Right, and fungi are really kind of amazing bridge builders between different what we would have called kingdoms back in the day, but even beyond that, right? Like fungi are there at the interface between plants and bacteria and everything, right? And so there's a lot of ways where fungi are able to kind of leverage their ability to be symbiotic with a lot of examples. Just like how the men of Bree
0: may look at the Dunedain with a certain amount of suspicion, the Dunedain are the bridge. Between the different races of, of good of Middle-earth, right? Like, without the Dunedain, there is no alliance of men and elves. Ah, right. Like, through the actions of what we normal folk would call the Rangers. Exactly. Yeah, gotcha. But, but we normal folk look at them as weird, hooded, sexy boys. Sure. But actually, they're the ones who are going to bring together the House of Man and the House of Elf for
1: the end of the Third Age. Yeah. And, you know, there's other kinds of symbiosis that we didn't like super talk about, like the same carpenter ants that we had discussed can grow fungi, for example, right? They can make fungal farms. And so there's a lot of ways that you can have symbiosis and mutualism between fungi and animals, fungi and plants. It's really kind of amazing that this grouping of organisms can build all of these connections.
0: Life is so diverse.
1: That's lovely, Nathan. Beautiful. Okay, so let's say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Brian Allen. For art. <laughs> uh, Griffin Allen, although I think we're supposed to stop berating him for. Hey, our, fuck our... that kid. <laughs> <laughs> we want your free labor, Griffin. You shut your mouth. You don't tell us what to do. <laughs> All right. Thank you, listeners, for. I'll be mean, like, actually, thank you because I don't know what's getting cut out of this episode, but whatever's left in, you just heard some shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for staying. <laughs> yes. Thank and... you for
0: subscribing, writing reviews. Folks who are on Patreon. Thank you so much tweet at Sean, email Sean.
1: Yes. Talk yes. to Sean. Yeah, I'm the main interface. So again, <laughs> if Nathan did something wrong, you can tell me, but don't be mad at me, please, because it's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't drive that home seriously enough. Okay. So, thank you everybody, and we will see you next time.